Matthew chapter 2, verses 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained for them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nick. Well, if I do not have the opportunity to wish you a Merry Christmas, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas on behalf of our elders, our staff, um, others who are part of our church. We do hope to see uh, many of you on Christmas Eve, but if we don't, have a very, very Merry Christmas. Let's take a moment to pause again. You know, I, I feel there's a, a heaviness in the room and within our culture and our society at the moment uh, regarding the unknown of the future, plans getting changed, all these sorts of things. And so let's just lean in here. I truly believe that God is still in control regardless of what's happening. So let's ask him now to give us peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, for this opportunity to gather. We do not want to take this opportunity for granted. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. I thank you for the wooing that you are doing to our souls, drawing us to yourself. I thank you for the opportunity to sing and worship today. I certainly experience the presence of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for those that are watching online. Would you bless them, encourage them in this season? I 
I pray, Jesus, that regardless of circumstances, we talked about last week, that we would have joy and that it would originate in you and what you have done, your gracious acts. We want to trust you. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a question this morning. The question is this, how do you respond to gracious acts of love? How do you typically respond to extravagant, gracious love? You know, this could be someone extending you as you interpret costly forgiveness. This could be someone coming to you and giving you an offer for help, and you are just kind of taken back by it. You think, wow, how could you see me and want to help me with this particular thing? Maybe it's, uh, again, as I said, some random act of kindness. Maybe you experienced or you were celebrating something in your life and someone brought a gift to you. Maybe you're a gifts person and someone brought a gift to you and you just thought, this is unbelievable. How could I receive this from you? This is amazing. Extravagant, gracious love. You know, some of us, we struggle with extravagant, gracious love, and I think there's many reasons, but a couple of them are that we're not accustomed to being people who are recipients of extravagant, gracious love. For some of us, it's because of our upbringing, our childhood. We didn't experience a lot of extravagant, gracious love, and so when we receive it, it's an oddity. Sometimes extravagant, gracious love can trigger things in us that we didn't anticipate it would trigger because of, again, our upbringing and our experiences. Others of us, when we experience extravagant, gracious love, love, we think, I I don't deserve this. Uh, Hold on to that for a moment. Let me first, in some sense, earn your extravagant, gracious love so then I might receive it. You know, you maybe have received, uh, I know that when Andre and I had our kids, people would bring over meals and immediately you're thinking, oh, this is lovely, but I need to give something to you in return because I don't deserve this love that you are showing me. So you feel like you have to give something back. We, we struggle to simply just receive love. I think we really do. I know that I do. And so when we come to the story of Christmas and when we read the story of the Magi, you know, we are all recipients of extravagant, gracious love. And we read about that in the Christmas story. And so I want to frame this morning the text that Nick read for us in the context of being recipients of gracious love, but I also want to look firstly more broadly at the topic of love in the Bible. And we don't have tons of time this morning. So here are just three things that I can identify as it relates broadly to the topic of love in the Bible. The first is this, the origin of love according to the scriptures is God because God is love. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 8, we read this, Beloved. Notice that we are greeted as the beloved. Those who are in Christ are the beloved. Why? Because we are beloved by God. Let us love one another, for where is love from? Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. What all of this means is that love is not some random activity of biological chemistry and atoms. Love is defined. It has an origin and a personal source. We read here that love is God's character. And what that means is every action that God takes is intrinsically loving. 
we maybe struggle with this because we recognize that you and I are not always entirely loving in our character. Yet this can absolutely be said of God. So the origin of love is God because God is love. Secondly, God's love is visible in the birth of Jesus Christ and his subsequent life, his death, and his resurrection. Now you might ask the question, well, why is that? And firstly, because of who Jesus is, thinking of his status. Philippians 2, 5 to 7, familiar verses to many of us. We read this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Last week, I quoted someone by the name of Norval Galdenhus, who says this, But thanks be to God that his son gave himself to the world in what condescending love and became man, bringing a perfect revelation of God as the holy and merciful Lord. So God's love is visible in the birth of Jesus and his subsequent life, death, and resurrection. One, because of Jesus' status, but then secondly, because of what Jesus came to do. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Or 1 John 4, 7-10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins, for our sins to be forgiven, for him to take our place. God proving in visible form his love for us. And then thirdly, broadly, what do the scriptures have to tell us about love? Is those who experience God's love through Christ, through Jesus, increasingly become people of love. Marked by love for God and love for one another. Now while our new birth, or when we come to know Jesus, comes through faith, a life of love becomes the byproduct of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, you should increasingly be coming a person of love, regardless of your feelings about vaccine and somebody else's, regardless of your feelings about public health measures and somebody else's. We increasingly become people of love if we are connected to Jesus, because God is love, and we have received God's love through Christ, and so we increasingly become people of love to the world around us. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because why he first loved us. John 13 verse 35, a deeply challenging verse. This is the words of Jesus. That means it's red letter, if you have a red letter Bible. Jesus said this. This is what he says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Oh my goodness. How is the world to see that we are disciples of Jesus if we love one another? Oh, stab to the heart. 
love for one another. So those who experience God's love through Christ increasingly become people of love, marked by love for God and love for one another. So with these things in mind, let's now transition back to the narrative of the Magi with the lens of biblical love. And I want to read it again for us. And again, think of the concept of love in the scriptures as I'm reading this through. Response of love. Responding to the love of God seen in the birth of Christ. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Notice it's after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, meaning the Magi were not at the scene. Uh, In my home, we have a nativity set, and our wise men are always in the east part of the house, away from our nativity scene. They're not there yet. Those of you who are part of the Church of the City for a while know that. I say that every Christmas. I know it's a little bit of a detail, but remove the Magi, put them in the east of your home. They're not there yet. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Last week, the pattern in the scriptures of God acts graciously, people respond with joy. Same thing is happening here. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now as I read the text, as I've studied it this week, responses from the Magi to the gift of love that God has expressed to us in Christ's coming to be with us. Three responses to God's love expressed through the incarnation. God putting flesh on to dwell and to be with us. First, they fall down and worship. Another way that I like to put it is that they surrender to love. Verse 11a, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. And what did they do? They worship him. Now, Jesus is not an infant, as we already discovered. He's a small child, likely a toddler. And so here are these magi, wealthy, studied individuals. They're men of influence and prominence. And how do they respond? They are responding with amazement and they, then they surrender by falling down and worshiping this child 
I mean, imagine the scene. You know, some of us are, you know, we look out our windows when we hear that, you know, fire engines go by or when the police go by. It's like, oh, look what's happening in the neighborhood. Imagine what's going on in the neighborhood. A caravan from the east has come. It's a likely very humble setting. Mary and Joseph are not people of prominence or wealth. And yet, these magi arrive and they fall down and they worship Jesus. David Benner, in his book, Surrender to Love, Discovering the Heart of Christian Spirituality, says this, Despite the unpopularity of the notion, surrender plays a crucial role in the spiritual journey as understood by most major religions and spiritual traditions. Far from being a sign of weakness, only surrender to something or someone bigger than us is sufficiently strong to free us from the prison of our egocentricity. Only surrender is powerful enough to overcome our isolation and alienation. Let me read that second part again. Far from being a sign of weakness, only surrender to something or someone bigger than us is sufficiently strong to free us from the prison of our egocentricity. I want to invite you to consider your egocentricity today and the invitation of surrender to love, surrendering to God's love expressed to us through Christ's birth. Secondly, what do these magi do? They offer costly gifts. Verse 11b, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now this phrase, offered him gifts, it's used frequently in the Old Testament of offerings presented to God. And in the New Testament, it's only employed seven times and always in the sense of offerings to God. And so what is Matthew communicating to us? These magi are offering, <laughs> presenting offerings to God, costly gifts. Gold clearly shows the affluence of these visitors. Frankincense was an aromatic used in sacrificial offerings and myrrh was used in perf- perfuming ointments. So they first respond in surrender, falling before Jesus And then they respond in generosity, giving him gifts. And then thirdly, what do they do? They obey. I don't know if you caught it, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Another sign of responding to love and even beginning to love back is obedience. The decision to forgo a return to Herod could have come at a great personal cost to themselves. And yet, what we see here is that they are so moved by the birth of Messiah, they respond as they hear this warning that we will not go back to report what we have seen. Jesus in John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. They respond, they obey this warning and go another way. So what do these three things communicate to us? What do they invite us towards? I would suggest that the Magi's 
response invites you and I to respond similarity to God's extravagant, gracious love in worship, in surrender, in generosity, and in obedience. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says this of followers of Jesus, beloved ones, the beloved. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We do not live for ourselves, for our egocentricity. We surrender to God's love shown us in Christ. We love, 1 John 4, verse 19 again, because why? He first loved us. Jesus invites us in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, wherever you are on a journey of faith, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Surrender to me. And as you surrender, watch me transform you from the inside out to become a person of love. So I want to ask you again, how do you respond to extravagant, gracious love? Maybe today you've identified, I struggle with it because of this. Invite God by his spirit to begin to transform you, that you would open your heart to the extravagant love shown to us in Christ. And through responding to this love, might we become increasingly people of love. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That doesn't mean we can't disagree with one another. But it means we disagree in love. It means we pursue and believe the best of another. I know that this will be a difficult couple of weeks. I know that because I'm having many conversations with people expressing it's going to be a difficult couple of weeks. And so would we be people of love? Following the example of Jesus who shows us what real love is. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we don't have to guess at this love thing, that we see it expressed most visibly in you coming to the earth, in condescending love coming to be with us, to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we should have died and come back to life, securing us life eternal through faith and trust in you by your grace. I pray, Jesus, that we would be a people marked by love. Love for one another, love for you. The two greatest commandments, love God and love others. God, if we're confused about this definition of love, would we look at you? We recognize that it is costly. That we're invited to even love our enemies. And that's difficult. And so we ask that you, by your spirit, would empower us to do so. In your son's name we pray. Amen.